Welcome to the Maple Syrup Show, Designers Discussing Design. We're on episode 78, Supply and Demand. That's right, we're going to actually give it a little bit of a twist tonight, and we're not going to necessarily talk about design, we're going to be talking about distribution. Talk about the the industry and how games get from point A to point B, the logistics, the buyers, the orders, the warehousing, all that nitty-gritty stuff that gets your games that you create into the hands of uh, the customer. And uh, as uh, as I speak, you'll notice we have dropping in with us Stephanie Straw, who has... Uh, <laughs> she, uh, she, looks, she looks very dark today. She looks very dark. It's very mysterious. So we'll, before we go to Stephanie, let's go to Sen. How are you doing, Sen? I'm doing fine. Uh, so we, we have today with us a bunch of cool guests talking about distro from the inside out so it's going to be really neat to learn what actually goes on in the in the industry from that side of things we talk a lot about design we talk a lot about uh, pitching we talk a lot about that but the nuts and bolts of the distribution system is really it's kind of the the pumping of the lifeblood of games across you know the nation and so it, it's actually a really important thing for Designers to understand to a certain degree, so that they know you know what you're ta- what you're ta- they're talking about. Especially in today's age of Kickstarter, where you can become a self-publisher really easily, knowing how to get your game into that stream of flow of stuff is awesome. Hey, look, it's Stephanie Straw, also known as the Beardless Meeple. Yeah, we're calling you the we're calling you the Beardless Meeple. I mean, that's true for now, but you never know. That's you what Sen said. I, <laughs> don't believe it. I don't believe it. I have beard envy sometimes, for sure. Yeah, imagine stuff with a beard. Like, she could, like, dye it multiple colors, Whoa. and it'd be, like, super cool. See? We don't have to imagine it. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I'm saying. It. Like, look. This is it right here. That this looks like one look of those like. scarf beards. That looks pretty rad, actually. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't that desirable? I don't know. For some reason, I feel like I would, that would look really good in Essen, right? Right. Beard. Well, I mean, right? You, could totally, you could totally be like a... Hang out with a, the dwarves. Dwarf. Yeah, yeah. One with a dwarf. For sure. So, uh, before we go any farther, for anyone who doesn't know, Stephanie is one of the amazing hosts of Nerd Nighters, <laughs> and uh, so you should check that out. And over the summer, stay tuned for a few uh, Nerd Syrup episodes that'll pop up as well. Which is yeah, like we'll a mashup we'll of nerd, nerd Nighters plus Maple Syrup, which I love doing with Daryl. It is yeah. like one of my favorite things. And we've, we've already talked about, we have some plans. <laughs> <laughs> are, they, are they cunning plans? Are they oh, so cunning you yeah. could plus so five cunning. on it and call it a weasel? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah. before we go any further, uh, what, what was Nerd Nighters all about uh, this evening? So people who haven't seen it can check it out on YouTube. We had a bevy of people on the show, so um, Nerd Nighters tonight, we're, and we actually are switching to where you can watch us on Twitch, so twitch.tv slash dfwnerdnight. Um, you, can, you can watch on YouTube or that, but that's where all the chat is happening, and that just works better for a live format for the show, so uh, for us, and we like do some live play games and stuff like that, so... Uh, follow us there, and um, you can watch us before the Maple Syrup Show at 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, because we did not want to conflict with Maple Syrup. We like whenever we can do one and then the other, and then everybody can join both shows because you guys are awesome. Um, tonight we had Team Geek on. So we had, oh my gosh, we had Scott Alden, uh, Chad Krizan, the business manager for uh, Board Game Geek, Lincoln Demers, the producer. Um, so he does their media and like game night and nice. stuff like that. Daniel Karp, senior software engineer, so he's responsible for a lot of the new user interface for board game. New snazzy look. Uh, he, he's yes. the one we never get to see. We never get to. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you got to see him tonight. If you I know. Watch it or or go back and watch like, the art show. He's like the show rare Pokemon this. that you got. You got to catch them all. The Pokeroo. Pokeroo. I like to think of him as Pokeroo. Yeah, but you know what? Not a lot of people understand Pokeroo, Daryl. Really. Ask Stephanie if she knows what Pokeroo is. What? Is, is, Am is I he, old? No, you're Canadian. Oh, is yeah. that a Canadian thing? Yeah, like totally. I don't know. Oh. Um, we also had Jeff Anderson, director <laughs> of events. He's just keeping so he's, on going. Yeah, I'm just going to Well, go there's on. just so many guests. It's crazy. So he's responsible for Board Game Geek Con. And you know then what, what Matthew Moanen. 
You should have just named who wasn't on the show. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, oh, so Matthew Monin, community manager, and then W. Eric Martin hopped in at Boom. the end of the show. Yeah, and he has dry. a beard. Did you know that? He has a yeah, beard I, now. He can actually grow a beard. It's, it's a scary it's thing. So See, talking weird. about beards. I saw pictures of him in New York recently with his kiddo. And yeah. Kid, his, so. And his beardo? His kiddo I, and his beardo. His kiddo and his beardo. <laughs> nice. I, I love bearded W. Eric Martin, though. So, so. so who wasn't? Who wasn't on this show? Let me think. Uh, Team Geek? That sounds like a lot of them. No, there's like um, one person missing. There's no, who couple. does uh, their marketing and the banners and stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember. But yes, there's a couple that people person. missing. Yeah, there's, there's a couple people. And like Beth wasn't there. Um, How dare they? Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see a bunch of them next week anyway, so that's good. Yeah. Um. Cool. Um, so let's uh, let's get on with the show in a way, like not no. On with the show. But uh, Daryl, get the hook. Get me off already. No, 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 no. No, you're here no. for asking questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Daryl, what's uh, what's been going on design-wise for you? Yeah, what's actually, the big, what's the biggest design challenge that you've had this week? That's a good question. Biggest design challenge this week. Actually, I've had a few fun challenges. Uh, but one that was a really fun one that I just decided to do today was, um, uh, as people know, I got to do the dice game for Back to the Future. And the biggest fan of Back to the Future that I know is Chris Leader. Yes, so, he's quite a big fan. And uh, so, actually, we set up a Skype, and we decided to make our own little Back to the Future game. No idea if it'll ever be able we'll pitch it to IDW, but we thought, you know what, forget this, we're just going to make our own. We made sure it was completely different than Ben and Matt's, so that was a rule. And we gave ourselves a few different other restrictions, but it was super fun, and we brainstormed an idea for a game. So that was that was today. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, just decided to say I would love to work with Chris, and let's see if we could design something. And if we need to, we'll have to re- redesign the, the IP. Sure. It could be a time travel game of some kind. Exactly. Hmm, interesting, interesting. How about how about yourself, Sen? I'll throw it back at you just before. Yeah. Ooh, right back at back. Um, so we're we're working on well, we're working on a bunch of stuff, obviously, but as always, the but we're working on. Brothers are always working on stuff. Yeah, and then the little offshoot, you know, bamboozle cousins and stuff like that. Uh, so. Are <laughs> we a cousin? Am I related? Do I, do I have sure. to marry someone? No. Okay. No, no, you're just related. You're just related. Yeah. You're just related. So, I think you just tell. Yeah. I mean, look, look at the. I, yeah, I don't your have hair. A you don't guys have, have the same hair. Yeah. 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 There you go. There. Uh, so we're, we're related. No. Uh, uh, so we've been working on a bunch of stuff for IDW lately. Uh, Jay and I, and then Jesse and I have been working on a bunch of stuff for IDW as well, um, in terms of just getting some stuff ready. Scott and I have. I've uh, been in talks with Renegade for Burning Rubber and with Stronghold. So just getting ready to show some stuff at the gathering, cleaning up some stuff that needed major cleanup. It's really funny. Uh, it, it, one of the best things about game designing, and it doesn't seem like the best thing at the time, is getting rejected. Uh, and then you get that rejection, and you take the game back, and you, you swear, and you curse the name of Chris Kirkman, I mean, uh, <laughs> the publisher who just rejected your game, and then you realize that, wow, they were right. And now the problem becomes, or the, the fun part, actually, it's a fun problem, is seeing how can you work within the constraints that they just provided you, knowing that, you know, they might not publish your game, but a guy who has a lot of success in the industry has published a bunch of games, said X about the game. How do we meet that X? And so that's been really cool. And then you wonder, why didn't we do that in the first place? Because it made so much sense. Absolutely. But because it's such an... It's a good feeling afterwards, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good afterwards where you're like, whoa, obviously this game had to change. Yeah. But at the time, you thought it was in a better place, so... Yeah, or it was just in a place where we might have not seen what... Chris was seeing, or we maybe needed confirmation that that was the issue before we invested the time it took to change it. And honestly, it didn't take a lot of time to change it, but uh, it was more... Which direction? Yeah, which direction. And and that getting your game out there, guys, if you have a game idea in your head, A, put it on the table, B, put it in front of people who you don't always game with, and whose opinions 
opinions you respect because then you're going to make some changes and then you're going to see where your product falls down, where it comes in limping, and then you can support it somehow. Hey, Steph, what's happening in Arkansas? Uh, just playing some games, you know. Yeah, playing some dream. games, yo. What's yeah. happening on, like, a, a typical Saturday, a at, Saturday at, the it, at the local game store? Saturday's a full day, so we have been doing a lot of uh, game swaps. So at the end of January, um, you know, kind of just after Christmas, we did a board game swap at the friendly nice. local game store. So you could bring in your board games, set your own prices for them, and sell them, and then you'll get that amount in store credit from the store. Awesome. Um, and then, of course, people could just buy, um, you know, cheap games, used, uh, unused, some of them still in shrink, um, things that people got for Christmas. Maybe they already had a copy. Maybe it was just wasn't their game. They didn't want to play crazy. it. It's so. crazy. Games yeah. don't shrink. I, I think that's a good, yeah. I would good never. idea. Hey, Steph, what is your FLGS? My friendly local game store is Game Goblins in Little Rock, Arkansas. Game um, Goblins. I love them a ton. I have been... They, they're they having their fourth birthday. Aww. Um, so April, 2000, April 20th, 2012 is whenever send, they... Send, I'll send them a singing thing on Facebook. <laughs> and actually, speaking of Chris Leader, so we secured Giant Zero for hey. the event. Don't lose Giant Zero. Don't lose it. Yeah. Yeah, Giant Zero. No, I, I, there are two. They only have two copies of it. So if we lost it, that would be terrible. That's exactly right. I, I've just, I've just had read <laughs> random tweets from like Cass or somebody saying, "Where's well, our Well, actually, breaking breaking news on that topic. Oh is, yeah, breaking news right now on this live breaking show. New, breaking news at eleven eleven fourteen p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But Cassidy <laughs> is making a little bit of a shift to another yeah. Seattle-based company, Cheap Ass Games. Yeah, congratulations to congratulations Cassie. to her, and uh, has always been a great supporter of our show. So we wish her best of luck. And she left Clippy on uh, on great terms. Still, uh, uh, and the person who is shifting into that role is Chris Leader. Oh, nice, good, perfect. So that's it's all it's good all around. It's for all around it's wonderful. Around. Yeah. So yeah. so James gets Cassidy, and Chris gets to put uh, more move time up. into yeah, Clippy. That's awesome. so. Excellent. And Daryl, what's your friendly local game store? I just I love people talking about their FLGSs. Absolutely. I was I just took a photo there yesterday. Yeah. Um and to so prove that you were there. To prove that I was there. And to <laughs> no, prove that our friends I, game was there. I always I always take pictures of friends games. And it's funny because sometimes I take pictures and people are like, Why did you take this random picture of a shelf? And I'm like, <laughs> Because look at all these fun games. But um J and Like Sapiens. J&J Cards and Collectibles is my go-to mm-hmm. um, local game store, although there's a lot of wonderful game stores, especially online stores in our area. Yeah. Um, but uh, J&J's has incredible prices and wonderful inventory and great customer service. So um, unfortunately, they do not have gaming space, but we are fortunate to have some game cafes. So yeah. they work hand-in-hand with the local game cafes and encourage people to check out games there. They offer good prices to the cafes on games and the cafes don't sell games, they encourage them to go to local game stores. Yeah. So it's a nice relationship uh, locally. Could that kind almost of be called symbiotic. Symbiotic. So, um, yeah, and so I happened to spot uh, uh, an IDW's uh, Godfather 1, the, the prequel to... Uh, I saw James. that photo. Yeah, yes. and then also there was Food Fighters, which is... Uh, Made and designed and developed by uh, Helena and Josh Capel of, uh, mm-hmm. and that's a wonderful family game. So anyone who's looking for a game that you can play as adults or kids or kids and adults, check out Food Fighters. Yes, and my family local game store is LA Mood. Um, so if you're in the London area and you want to play games with Tyler and myself, let us know. We'll probably be somewhere around LA Mood or the Cardboard Cafe. Um, other than that... You might, you might get to play with Tyler. We actually have no idea where Tyler we is. We don't know right? where Tyler is. Tyler, that's, that's actually kind of scary. That actually is no, bad. It's, it's yeah. not. It's not it's at all. Tyler would probably Tyler's be asleep. Tyler's probably or just sleeping, everyone. He He's either sleeping. sleeping or on a bender. No, I mean just sleeping. <laughs> just sleeping. <laughs> the beard has tryptophan in it. So. It probably you know, does. The beard it's a tricky beard. Rest. Beard needs a rest. 
So, speaking about friendly local game stores, I think it's time that we bring yeah. in our guest, Bobby Stickle. Someone who, that makes the friendly local yes. game stores work. Yeah, this, is, this is how it happens, guys. You're going to see it. So, we're this bringing in Bobby step. Stickle from GTS. Unfortunately, uh, we don't have Mike here at the moment. If he shows up, awesome. Yeah, I left him the link, and hopefully he'll jump in. Yeah, Bobby, Bobby is all we need, though. Bobby Mike is all we need in. for That's now. That's great. Bobby can totally handle it. All right, so welcome, Bobby, to the show. How are you, sir? Uh, I am better than nothing. How are you? <laughs> you are for sure better than nothing. You are, <laughs> you're Bobby. Uh, let's start off the questioning. Uh, Miss Straw, do you have a question for Mr. Stickle? Well, I would, I'd actually like to give a shout-out like, so, uh, to Bobby. So my friendly local game store, Game Goblins, um, had like kind of like a... a open house, like grand reopening, they moved to a new location, and GTS Distribution was so helpful in making that a successful event. Um, They helped send us um, some things that we could give away, they gave us some tips on the event, helped us out with social media, Um, so GTS Distribution went above and beyond for Game Goblins. That sounds like some good customer service really. Yeah, it was, and Andrew Phillips is our rep from GTS, and he is totally plugged in and totally amazing and really, really, really great communicator, so that's my little shout-out. Shout-out to Andrew. Yeah, so, so I have a question on that, Bobby. Okay. Um, how many, because I've, I've I haven't asked Andrew this, how many, like, reps do you have? Because Andrew seems so plugged in, I feel like we are his only customer, but I know that's not true. <laughs> uh, how, many, how many sales reps do we employ? Yeah, yeah. Um, at last count, I think we're in the area of around 30. Wow. Yeah, okay. now, so yeah. some of those are dedicated just to our sports card business, so if you're just talking about uh, how many of those reps are purely for gaming stores, I think we're in the neighborhood of the mid-20s, so let's say 25, so yeah. Love it, love it. i got to say, as a fan of both sports and games, love the GTS combo. Um, well, I want to jump in, actually, to... Kind of the big news is coming up, uh, April 1st coming around the corner, and GTS being one of the five companies that's on the the Asmo Day North America Club. Yeah. Like, how, did, how did you get that prestigious membership? And what does like, it even mean? What, what does it mean? Can you give us in layman terms like how the world is going to change tomorrow? Yeah, I can. So... Um... I can tell you, first of all, that um, we, as GTS, kind of, we saw this coming a couple of years ago, um, some of the changes to the industry, sure. and we spent some time preparing for it because, you know, when it all goes down, we want to be in a good position. We want to benefit from this change, not have to scramble or anything else from that. So the good news is we are absolutely sitting in the driver's seat as far as U.S. distributors um, to be able to benefit from this. So <clears throat> what happened, for those of you keeping score at home, Asmodee and Fantasy Flight merged, and they became Asmodee North America, and then they added to that umbrella Days of Wonder and Queen, and now it's the Catan license. Yes. Not yeah. what Mayberry. It's Catan. All of Catan. Right. So... Uh, now you have Asmodee North America, and now what they're doing is they have a new policy going into place tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? It's in 40 minutes, actually. This new <laughs> policy goes into place, and um, it affects all the tiers of the industry. So it's going to affect uh, the distributors, it's going to affect uh, the retailers, and uh, it, to some extent, it's going to affect the consumers. And I'm sure everybody's going to want to ask about how that works as well. Uh, how so do, how happened, does that work as well? Well, I'll, so I'll get into that. So um, so what happens is they're, they're basically changing their, their terms on how people can buy and sell their product. Okay. So where do I begin on this? All right, so if you are a brick-and-mortar retailer, well, the first thing you have to do is you have to declare through a written agreement with Asmodee North America, whether you are a brick-and-mortar retailer or you are an online retailer. 
And if you say, I'm brick and mortar, you can't sell online at all. You can't have an Amazon account, an eBay store. You can't have a shopping cart on your website. No online sales whatsoever. So For, for all products or just for Asmodee products? Just for Asmodee North America products. Now, okay. granted, in your typical game store, all those companies I mentioned, that's making up at least 60% of all the copies on the shelf. Right. So that's a big chunk of product, right? So, all right, so you are a brick-and-mortar store, right? And you agree to not sell online in any way, okay? So that's route number one. Route number two is if you say, you know what? I'm an online, I'm an online business. Okay, so that means a couple things. Obviously, you don't have a brick-and-mortar presence. It also means that you have to buy from uh, one distributor, and it means that um, you... The good news for the online guys is that... Uh, remember I said the brick-and-mortar guys can't sell through any Amazon or, or third-party or eBay, stuff like that? That's been eliminated, so that was the biggest nagging competition for the online guys, which was causing them to have to drop their price down, which was right. putting the hurt on brick-and-mortar. So in theory... What's going to happen is, at the end of the day, that box, that game, uh, its value is going to be preserved. You're not going to take a game that everybody worked hard to design and market and sell and all that, and all the costs that come out of that, like shipping and, and everything else that eat away at the profit of that game, and you're not going to devalue it. So Fury of Dracula is 60 bucks, I think. Um, you're not going to have it sitting in the store of your friendly local game store for 60 bucks, yet everybody else can get it online for 30 Yeah. And right. now the brick-and-mortar guy is screwed. Wow, right? great explanation. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's, it's not price-fixing, but it's dividing up the market share equitably. It is. Yeah. And, That's and the it, hope. It really comes back to preserving the value of, of the product because at the end of the day, if you can do that, then everybody involved makes more money, right? Right. Now you've got a healthier, stronger industry, um, which can trickle down to that publisher that's just one guy, you know, or, or one woman in her apartment. Or right, which is audience. definitely something we want to talk about because a lot of our audience is that one person, one man show, one woman show. Hey, look, Peach State's here. Yay, PhD's in the house. Uh, sorry about that, guys. That's okay, that's okay. Where, 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 you're located down in Florida? Yeah, so our HQ is in Florida, in uh, Central Florida, and uh, we do have warehouses all across the U.S. But, okay. Uh, I, am, I am down in our, our Orlando office. Okay. So your first question is, uh, you know, how is Peach State better than GTS? No, just kidding. <laughs> That's not the question. Uh, yeah, battle, I'm, IRL, I'm 1v1. I'm, I'm very pretty. That's what it is. I, I, bring a lot of, uh, I bring a lot of pretty to the, to the show. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in terms of... What are your thoughts? We're talking about Asmodee, as you might have um, gathered. I get, yeah, I gathered that. So, it seems to be the hot topic for everybody right now. So. Yeah, and what are your thoughts on the situation, and how is is PhD involved in that at all, or mm. what are you guys going? What are you doing as a company to position yourself? So as as as, as uh, you know, we, we are we're one of the the, the five as is what a lot of people are referring to it now, like ICV2 and a bunch of other new publications are calling the the people who were chosen the big five because it's the same five that were chosen for uh, F to Z for Z Man and all that. So yes, we are involved with it, and uh, as to what we're doing about it, you know, we're just kind of stocking up and and helping people through the process and making sure everybody is signed up before. Uh, Friday. That's uh, that's when the, the the thing happens. April first is when the contract goes in effect, and um, you have to make sure all these retailers are signed up and they're ready to go, and there's no interruption in the product going to their stores. Because, like I said, come come Friday, it's a it's a clean cut. We uh, if you don't have an Aspen North America specialty retailer uh, a, a number, we can't sell the product to you. And it's easy process. You just go to their website, you sign up as if you're a retailer. And um, their turnarounds very very quickly. So that's really what our change is at this point. Other than that, it's business as usual. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just making sure retailers are signed up. They know how how to sign up. What's going to change? If anything's going to change for them, which in most of them it isn't. Just the guys that are doing that hybrid stuff that aren't chosen for the online. 
you know, we have to make sure they're aware that uh, they can't sell the stuff online. They can only sell it in their in their actual brick and mortar store. So, yeah, just making sure the information stream is clear and conscious to the retailers. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, I'm gonna uh, jump to Bobby now. Next question. Uh, I'm kind of curious. Um, as a designer, I don't. I do not understand or or know anything about the whole like buyer distribution kind of thing that's going on. I just know that magically my games somehow get into stores. And so I'm curious, how does GD, how does GTS determine what games to to stock? How much of it? All that kind of decision making process. Is there like some magical formula, or is it all from the gut? You know, could you tell our viewers a little bit of like how that process goes down? Sure. Um, so, so how you asked about the process of how especially you do it. the buyers for for distribution. So, a um, couple different ways. Uh, this happens a lot at trade shows, uh, especially Gen Con or Essen or whatever. You you've got a person that's hey, I've got a game. I want to talk to somebody and. Uh, it doesn't have to happen at trade shows. It can happen through email. Somebody calls us on the phone. But somebody basically approaches us and says, I've got a game, and I need to sell it. What do I need to do? Right? Um, and and we're, we we're lucky if we get that much information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, really, like we, get, we get two or three of these calls or emails a week. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot to go through. So really, the first thing, we're going to ask a lot of questions. We're going to ask things like, all right, look, do you have a finished product? If the answer is like, no, I've got an idea, or I've got a prototype, or I don't know if I'm going to go Kickstarter or whatever, then at that point, really, that's not a conversation for distribution. Where distribution comes into the conversation is, I have a finished product that's in a box, in shrink wrap. In my garage. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Um, uh, we had a guy freaking out saying, I have 3,000 copies of this on my dining room table, and my wife wants it out. Can you help me? Um, so that happens, right? But you got to finish Saving marriages everywhere. <laughs> yep. <sighs> Do what we can. Uh, so, yeah, if you got a finished product, great. We'll ask you things like, okay, do you, do you know what price you want to sell it at? Um, do you have warehousing already? Do you have a marketing plan in place? Um you know, what are you doing to support this game? Uh, what kind of demand is built in, if any, at that point, right? And we're going to work out things like payment terms and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but all that business stuff aside, we want to take a look at your game, and we do want to play it, and we have a bunch of people both internally and externally that we use to vet out games to make sure that they're they're right for us. Um, certain distributors are stronger at, at, at different things, and uh, when it comes to stuff like board games and collectible card games, that's really in our wheelhouse. So, you know, if you're... Uh, the point is we're going we're gonna to vet that game out and determine the amount of demand um, that we think there is for that game because we want to be able to, to sell it, obviously. So if all that checks out, great. Let's talk about ship dates and put a marketing plan in place, and get things moving. Great. Awesome. <laughs> um, so, Mike, yeah. uh, popular... I have two questions. One's going to be quick. Popular opinion, peach state hobby, but Florida. Why, why not orange state, or why not Georgia? Georgia. Okay, so here's That's a little bit of a let's, let's have a little bit of a history lesson here. So uh, there oh, used there were two, there used to be two different companies. There was Peach State Sports based out of Georgia, yeah. and then there was Premier Hobby Distribution based out of Florida. Oh, that's who you guys used to be. Yeah, be Premier. Okay, I get it. I get it now. Yeah. So <laughs> then nice merged. Learned. Yeah, so then we merged, and now we're Peach State Hobby Distribution, uh, which is both those companies together. I like it. So that yeah. leads no, into my no next question. Gets, yeah, no one ever gets like, why are you Peach State and you're in yeah. Florida? And like, yeah. how was Peach State involved? How is Peaches involved with gaming anyways? People get so. really defensive of their fruits, so yeah. that yeah. does not surprise me one bit. 
Um, yep. Second question: um, Since a lot of uh, a lot of people that aren't like in in the board game industry or publishers or working at retailers, um, a lot of like the like everyday gamer, they're not necessarily familiar with um, the distribution names like GTS or Peach State Hobby. So, give your this is what Peach State Hobby is all about, like real quick elevator pitch or your mission statement, etc. So, uh, you know, our main thing's always been, uh, I guess for us, in Eyes Play, making sure our retailers are educated and they know that, you know, because a lot of us here are former retailers, myself included. So we've got a lot of. Um, I guess pitfall experience, uh, what we did right, what we did wrong. So it, it's because everyone can argue price. Every distributor argues his prices. That's kind of a moot point in a lot in a lot of respect because um, you're gonna make it up in one way or another. You're gonna have better freight here. You're gonna have free freight there. You're gonna have special pricing on your magic there. Whatever it is. Um, so it really comes down to the services that you offer. So our our main thing's always been customer service. You know, we put them first. We help them grow as a retailer. Uh, we curate them as opposed to like collecting and make sure that our accounts are always strong and healthy and you know at the end of the day if they've gone from you know doing a thousand to two thousand dollars a week to you know five thousand dollars a week that's better than having five accounts that do a thousand dollars a week in our eyes you know as long as we're growing them that's that's where we want to do that's what we want to do we want to help our retailers right Helping your retailers helps you in the end, right? Correct. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, Bobby, uh, one of the t phrases that we often hear, and it's you know, it's music to my ears, but I really actually don't know what it means, is sold out at distributor level. What does that mean? Well, a bunch of is what it is. That could mean a couple of things. Um, exactly. You know, That's jargon. Happiness for designers. <laughs> it depends on who's saying it's sold out at, at the distributor level, right? Um, that could mean, uh, yeah, it's sold out at the distributor level and we just haven't bought more. But it could also mean that we have not been able to buy more. So, for example, the, the print run is gone. Um, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's... Uh, you start to get into the forecasting conversation now and, and the pre-order conversation and why do games get shorted and how come they didn't print enough for the demand and everything and why is it sold out at, at the distributor level. But, um, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, any distributor is going to be judged on things like inventory turns and profitability and everything. So, um, you know, we, distributors, right, we have to keep our inventory tight. We have to, you have, we have to buy wisely. Um, we we want to have it on hand so that you know even after the initial wave somebody wants it you know we have that available and GTS specifically we've got ten different warehouses to worry about as well so um, yeah it's it's tough because it's forecasting in this industry is it is not a science it's more of a scientific nightmare it's like voodoo yeah. Yes. Yeah. Voodoo's right. Is that that's my job. I'm a buyer, so it's I would just, be uh, interested in seeing the percentages of forecasting being correct or not. <laughs> Wonder, like, yeah, you only want the, you only want those stats when you're on a hot streak. I feel. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. So, Mike, it's like tell, calculating tell us about when you go to Vegas. Tell us about it from your perspective as a buyer. Uh, the same question. Yeah. Well, the original question was, "What is uh, out of out of the distribution level?" Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, but tell us tell us from your perspective as a buyer. Uh, well, you know, uh, Bobby nailed it. It's it's kind of a scientific nightmare, like really, because um, <laughs> you, you try to get pre-orders from retailers, and pulling teeth is a bit of an understatement. No one really wants to commit to, you know, even six copies of a board game sometimes in a week for a retailer, that can be, like right now, this week, it's, it's Magic pre-release week. And if you're trying to get these guys to commit to, you know, six copies of this, six copies of that, 12 copies of this, quickly you're, you're adding up to, you know, $1,000, $2,000 on pre-order that, uh, you know, they, they need to keep their cash very liquid. So it's hard to get a solid pre-order number. So you kind of go with uh, you know go with your gut and a lot of a lot of these things based on previous sales on if it's an expansion you base it on previous uh, parts of the game or similar types of games 
So if, um, let's just say, another game comes out that's like Dungeon Roll, for example, it's very similar in a lot of ways, you're going to go back and you're going to look at your sales when that first came out. You're going get to get an idea there, see how much your company's grown since then, and uh, you know you increase it by that. So there's no perfect way to it. There really isn't. Um, it, it does come down to a lot of really good guessing to similar products, and if something is a little special, you just get that you just get that gut feeling once in a while, and you're like, that's that's really going to take off, like uh, above and below when that first came out in November. Uh, I think I was probably one of the few people when I came back from Gen Con, like this game is going to be hot, and uh, it came out in November last year, and sure enough. It was gone like that, and I think a lot of people were caught off guard by it, by the popularity of it. So uh, I know I didn't order enough, and I tried to get as many pre-orders as I could, but you just you couldn't drive it home hard enough. And uh, you know you can take a leap of faith on product, but uh, you still have to go by what you really can kind of get a good concrete number on. So mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think, man, that's got to be hard to do. <laughs> um, so Chris Schreiber um, in the audience has a question. Uh, I'm going to ask it to you, Bobby. I'm going to expand on it a little bit. So his base question is, how much do retailers know about the games that they're ordering? And I'm going to kind of add something to that, is what do you as a distributor do to help educate your retailers about the games? Um, because I know I... I help my FLGS with board game procurement because they're really great with like magic and wargaming and uh, LCGs and that kind of stuff, but they're not as solid on board games. So I know I have to teach them a lot. So what do you what do you do to kind of educate retailers about specifically board games? So that's it's actually my job, right? So that's where marketing comes in. Um, we're a, we're a little unique in the fact that. Um, sure, we we sell to retailers, so we market to retailers, and we're trying to sell a you know any given game to that retailer from somewhat of a business perspective. We want them we want them to know things about the game so that they can think in their mind, okay, how many people do I have coming into my store that that would be a good fit for, or how many do I think I can move in a month at that price, or how much shelf space does it take up? But the other thing we do uh, that helps the retailer out is. We market to the consumers as well, which is not typically something that distributors are known for doing. And we do that to actually help build that demand in the retailer's store so that when a sales rep calls and says, okay, it's time to pre-order game X, how many do you need? If we've done our job marketing to consumers and educating the consumers, he should have demand already built in going, yeah, you know, I've had 10 people ask me about that this week. It helps that guy better forecast his business and manage his cash flow so he's healthier overall. So, you know, we do what what a lot of you guys in the industry do, which is help the players get excited and informed about a game and help them determine, hey, is this a good game for me and my group? At the same time, while we're also educating the retailer on that game from more of a business perspective. All right. Um, Mike... Tell us about, um, from, for a smaller publisher, Serge Piero, who's one of the viewers right now, is asking, what is the minimum number of games that a distributor will take on? And if they can package stuff together, does that make a difference? If they have many titles, will you take a few t- like many titles but a smaller number of things? Or is there a magic number that they have to hit? Is there a magic number? No. Um, I mean, honestly, I've brought in. It, it it's it, it's it varies. It depends on the title. It depends on how strong we think it is. If we want to make a stand a, a stance on it, you know, it could go from just between all the warehouses. I could bring in like 120, or you know, I could bring in you know 3,000 or something. Right. It really depends on the title. But to hit uh, the minimum, uh, it winds up being about 120 or so per single game. If it's just one game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's a publisher who's got uh, you know multiple titles, I'll probably bring in you know thirty or forty percent less on uh, the on the average title in their line. But the hotter ones, for like recently, we brought on Renegade Game Studios, right? Mm-hmm. So 
you know, their titles like Fuse and Lanterns and Kitty Paul, some of their more popular titles that are really hot right now, we brought in heavier volumes of those. Kitty Paul, we brought in more because it's also their newest release. Um, and the other titles that I brought in, minimal stock levels uh, on the on the other items that have been around for a while that aren't selling as hot. Um, it, it depends on the title. It varies. But there there is no magic number. There is no... Uh, distributors buy a minimum 120 units or something like that. Uh, it, it really depends, again, on the title that you have and how strongly we feel about it and how well it lines up with our, our customer base. Because all of us have our own different kinds of customer base. Um, you know, we have we have game titles that just don't really sell that well for us. But I know at our comp at, at different distributors they're they're selling them like crazy and vice versa. It just uh, we all have different customers that buy from awesome. us on a very regular basis and. Uh, it varies. You really have to know your customer base. Okay, cool. Absolutely. Um, going with another viewer question, I'm going to go with Bobby. Um, and I actually, I kind of overheard a few of these conversations happening when I was at New York Toy Fair, but I'm curious um, about the relationships between uh, GTS or distributors in general, maybe even if you want to talk about with companies like Impressions and PSI. And how, how does that work? If you're willing to <laughs> kind of maybe even talk in vague terms. Uh, we have that question from Richard Miles. Uh, yeah, we do have relationships with both Impressions and PSI, and they, um, they're they similar, but they're a little bit different. So let's talk about Impressions. Impressions uh, presents themselves as a, as a sales and marketing company. So if you are a small or startup publisher and you're having trouble breaking into one of the big five distributors um, because you're unknown or whatnot, and you don't have the resources or the contacts or whatever to uh, to really branch out in the industry. Impressions is a great way to go because we already have an existing relationship. So if Impressions picks up your product, Impressions solicits that product to us, and they go, "Hey, here's a bunch of new products this week or this month or whatever." And um, again, going back to what Mike said, we kind of assess those and to determine how much of that we bring in. But because we have that open door, that working relationship with Impressions. Um, that is an easier path for some smaller or first-time publishers to get to. Uh, PSI is similar. Um, they're a little bit different, though, in terms of if your product is right for things like uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target. PSI has those relationships. If that's the route you want to go, you want to go through PSI. And, of course, they also sell to all the major distributors so that you can reach the core hobby as well. Yeah. Great, yeah, no, thank you. That's wonderful. Uh, can, I, can, I, oh. can I add to that real quick, actually? Obviously, yeah, please jump in, yeah. Mike. Yeah. So uh, I find, you know, and I say this, Aldo's one of my, Aldo, he's the guy that runs Impressions, mm -hmm. is, is one of, as a buyer, one of my greatest allies. Like, really. There's a lot of titles that we wouldn't be able to carry if we couldn't use his service. So, for example, um, uh, Daryl, let's pick on you in one of your games, right? Wall yeah, you City. Can pick, you can pick away all yeah. you want. Use me. So, me. so, so Use let's me say Wall City, right? I needed to buy some Wall City, but let's say previously I could only buy it by like minimum case quantities, right? So I had to buy it sure. a six at a time. And let's just say it wasn't selling really well. I'm like, well, I don't want to not stock it. Well, impressions I can buy just one or two or three. I don't have to buy six. So that's right. going to let me throw on one or two copies every single week onto my new recent my new orders coming in and yep. it makes it it makes me be able to keep your product on my shelf at a manageable level that doesn't really impact me so negatively that the at the bottom dollar wise and I can keep it on my shelf what keeps it in stock keeps it in front of the retailers keeps it on the retailer shelves it keeps your product alive so all all those impressions and the guys at PSI that's that's what I find to be the most invaluable part about it is I can keep all these little guys who I normally wouldn't have nearly enough time in the world to contact and just kind of pick what I know will do well and keep it on my shelf and keep it alive. Because if I had to go through you guys directly, there's no way. There's just absolutely no way we could do it. There's not enough time. Yep. And, uh, it's, yeah, there's not enough time. There's not enough staff that we could actually afford to, to do it because it just would take – time management would be so horrible on it, so – very I, I I love those I love those guys I work I work with them very very closely on on a daily basis so they're they're invaluable to me 
and I if I ever have a new guy that contacts us, I'm, I usually always send them to, depending on their size and how strong the title is, I usually go to Impressions first and say, hey, go check out Impressions. Uh, Keith Mateka, a uh, guy that designed Bullfrogs from Thunderworks, who got picked up from Renegade now. Yeah. Originally yeah. did it himself, and I, I was trying to bring him on. I'm like, look, Keith, I'm not going to be able to bring on the volume that you need, really. But here, let's go talk to Aldo, and Aldo brought it on. Aldo got him into all the other distributors. So, and now he's recognized. He was now recognized and picked up by Renegade, and they're coming out with that like next week or the week yeah, after or something. Real so, real yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I love impressions. Any of the new guys out there, any new publishers, any new designers, um, you know, right now he's not taking on a whole lot of clients, but that that's probably going to change. So. Keep keep impressions in your in your uh, in your radar to to try to bring your games on to. You definitely will provide a good service to get your product into distributors. Excellent. Yeah, that's really good. Like behind the scenes info that I think that most people like don't hear about or you know talk about PSI or impressions a lot. A lot of podcasts, shows like this, we don't really talk about that. We we actually usually don't even get to the distributor level. So I'm glad you guys are here. Um, so I've gotten kind of a, a retailer um, look at Kickstarter and, and their opinion, but I'm interested to hear what Mike, um, what maybe you think about Kickstarter from a distributor standpoint. Is it good, bad, neutral, both? So uh, I think it's good. I, I don't. Um, I don't think it's bad. I have, you know, I, I owned. Um, uh, I had my retail store when Kickstarter was coming about, and that's when it was like it, it was. It was at that height of oh no, pitchforks and torches to take down the Kickstarter giant because they're going to destroy the retail business. And uh, so, I mean, I've been on the business side of it since the beginning, um, and I'm optimistic to it now. I think it's good. I don't think it's bad. Um, at, at this point, I think it's a really good marketing tool. At the very least, it's a good marketing tool. It's a good barometer to what kind of volume I'm going to look for in a product. So if someone has a Kickstarter comes to me and says, you know, we had a Kickstarter, blah, 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 I'll go look at it. I'll see how many backers they had. I'll go look and see what other Kickstarters were going on at the time because that may have affected uh, how good they did or how good they performed or didn't perform. There's all kinds of little factors. But I think it's good. I think it's a good data tool for my purposes. Um, as long as they're not, you know, it, it's not like a hundred. It's not like a fifty-dollar retail game or something, and they're giving it away for a pledge level of five dollars, and they get like twelve thousand backers. Because then you've just saturated your market, and you've destroyed any kind of future sales you're really going to have for it. So you got to go into it with some kind of mindset that, uh, and hold some stuff back that you're going to give to the. You're going to be able to offer to the retailers a reason to bring it in. Uh, so, so their customers have a reason to come and buy it from them. So I, I don't think it's bad. I think it's good, and I think it's a good marketing tool for, at the very least. That's a really that's a really astute answer uh, because I mean there are a lot of ways to use barometers like Kickstarter for projecting, right? I mean yeah. we're always asked when uh, when you want to get into a bookstore, they say, well, how's it sold in other bookstores? That's the question, right? It's yeah. Like, so how, how are your sales in bookstores if you want to get into Barnes and Nobles? And like, well, we're not in any bookstores. How would we know that? We uh, need the first one so that we can get into all the others. Right. So it's like I wouldn't need ID. Right. I had ID. Uh, and it's then, a multi-pass. Yeah. It's a multi-pass. Multi-pass. So Kickstarter becomes that kind of barometer or multipass uh, for you guys in a way that, hey, we can yeah. read where the trend is going a little bit and forecast how it might yeah. sell to the general public who doesn't know Kickstarter or who yeah. might have missed on the you just gotta, You have to be a little smart if you're going to use it as a barometer because you just can't use the raw data. Like You can't just use made X million of dollars and made and had X amount of backers. You know, you've got to pay attention to what else was going on at the time. I remember... Uh, I don't want to say exactly what they were, but I remember at the time there were these three Kickstarters that were going. One of them was Tiny Epic Kingdoms, and then there were two other ones that were did performed really, really, really well on Kickstarter because they were all working with each other to do a lot of cross-promotion. When it came to the retail side of things, it did not translate at all. And I saw it coming, and I knew it wasn't going to. And I tried explaining to them, and they just they couldn't understand it because we did so great on Kickstarter. Like, yeah, but you gave away everything you had. You gave away your entire value for, for the retail side of it. There's nothing really left for me to reap from this. 
oh, well, whatever. So they got really mad because I wasn't going to buy like 2,000 units. Like, Sorry, there's, there's nothing left to sell. And it proved to be true. So you, can't, you can use it as a barometer, but you have to be smart about it and pay attention to not just it, but what else is going on at the time. Hmm. Excellent. Good points. Um, Bobby, the next question is to you. You might have to unmute yourself. Perfect. Um, so more questions are coming. DR Board Games asks, how do distributors cope with the massive numbers of games released these days? Is it much different than it has been a few years ago? What are your thoughts, Bobby? It's very different. Um, I, I will use last year's fourth quarter as an example. Uh, what, what do you mean, Bobby? Say, <laughs> we had a historic fourth quarter. Uh, we, I, I think, speaking for the entire industry, uh, there were more games released in fourth quarter than I think anyone can ever remember. Uh, it was just, it was so crowded, it was such an overcrowded board game market that games that you thought were going to be a, just a home run out of the gate, like Imperial Assault, had trouble getting traction because there was just so much going on. And, you know, something Stephanie said earlier about educating retailers on board games, if you know Magic, you know Pokemon. They keep coming out with releases, right? But the game is still the same. But every board game is different. There's a huge learning curve, and everybody has a, a limited resource on time and being able to sort through the noise and say, well, what's good? What's not good? What do I need to pay attention to? So last fourth quarter was just we were overrun with the amount of games we had to buy, market, sell. Um, and, and again, you, you look at stuff like Imperial Assault. It should have been... Great, and it was great, but it still had trouble getting traction, um, getting its own attention through the noise. And you know, at the end of the day, retailers only have so much cash. You know, they kind of have to buy as much as they can. But if there's that many games coming out, maybe you can't buy five or six deep of a title. Maybe you can only go one or two, so you can get a wider breadth of games in your store. Same with the consumers. There's only so much cash to go around. Um, how do we cope with it? Uh, we cope with it. GTS <laughs> uh, has, has kept up with the growth pretty well, and um, you know. But at the end of the day, you, you've got to you've got to prioritize things. You have to. There's only so much marketing bandwidth. You know, we only have six people on our marketing team. We only have so much time in the day, right? So we have to kind of prioritize what is going to. Um, what's going to be best for our business as well as what's going to keep our retailers healthy and, and give them sustainable growth because we, we take a lot of responsibility for the retailers' health as well. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I kind of want to ask a similar question. Another uh, viewer asked um, that I want to bounce by uh, I want to bounce by Mike and uh, that is uh, from Chris Schreiber and he's asking you know, especially because of retailers having limited space how do you prioritize recommending volume for like evergreens versus like the new hotness or games that you think would suit you know their clients you know what's that that balancing act how do you how do you go about recommending volume huh. yeah that's a big one uh, so so the so that's the evergreens right those don't move as a high enough volume as you think they do at this point per re, per retail location they right. move at a higher volume at three or four at a time at 100 retailers as opposed to the new hotness, which does 24 to 30 copies at, you know, just an example, six retailers, for example. Sure, so sure. I'm moving the same volume of, we'll say, Dominion, for example, right, as I do the hot title, but it's not a lot of copies to a single retailer. The evergreens are usually two, three copies on a shelf on average for most of the stores. Maybe it's a case. Uh, which is six, uh, so that's that's not um, that's one that's technically like one spot, one shelf space in a retail store because it's one copy and then you know six behind it. So that's not the evergreen addressing the ever, evergreen stuff isn't really that difficult. Um, so how do you handle how do you suggest volume to a retailer for for the new hot items? Uh, that is is case by case, and uh, our our account managers are very close with our retailers, and they know what has sold really well with them previously. Whether or not the retailers kept track of that or not, we have. So we're pretty good about saying, hey, this this type of game did these pirate themes do really well for you. So you know, when when Dead Man's Hand came out, 
from Minion Games recently, or not recently, but you know what I mean, uh, more recently ago. Um, you know, we said, hey, you guys are really strong with pirate games. Go ahead and do this. Go ahead and bring a higher little, like, bring an extra case of this in. Uh, remember, and the same thing happens when Rum and Bones came out. Hey, bring in an extra case of this because you always did really strong with pirate theme games, for example. So it, it is case by case basis, um, and it, it, it really depends on, on what we our, our account managers know the retailers have done in the past. Um, but there, again, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot of science and exactness uh, to this. It's, it's very much inventory for, for us and retailers is and kind of has to be very liquid uh, in, in sure. its ex- expansion and contraction Cause, because it is. As Bobby spoke of Q4 last year um, and on Black, the week of Black Friday, uh, we had <laughs> 68 brand new titles. That wow. that's not a huge number in like the grand scheme of numbers, but that's a lot. That's a lot of crap to come out on five days. Yeah, yeah. that know? is a lot to deal with. And that was thirty titles or something from PSI. That was a whole. It just was a whole mess of stuff. Wow. And how do you even begin to properly market and educate your retailers at that point? It's just it's a matter of like, yeah, we got stuff. Buy it. You know, because it here's the list. It's an Excel spreadsheet. Buy them all. Correct. When you get to that kind of point, it is. It's it's just an Excel list. Here, here's an Excel list. Check off what you need. You know, these are the things I think you'll do well in. You don't have enough time to go over each sell sheet with each retailer and each title and be like, here's what all five of these different, uh, you know, Neuroshima hex expansions do. You don't have time for that. You just Neuroshima blue, Neuroshima purple, Neuroshima orange. Give me how many you want now. So. There's no science, unfortunately, uh, to, to suggesting to retailers on how to do it. It's a lot of backtrack and looking at their sales hey. history and seeing how they've performed. There's an art there. There's an art form. So with relationship, yeah. With with all that craziness in mind, um, Bobby, I'm going to ask you. Um, I think this might be one of our final questions, but so the the board game industry is changing, obviously, and you are like heavily involved in that. What do you see for 2016 that's different? Is there anything just totally different than we've ever seen before? Is there like game changing distribution stuff that's going on? Are we like blurring the lines? Are distribution channels going to be more of a liaison? Uh, between publishers and retailers, or like what? What's that going to look like in 2016 and the, beyond? The, the big change that's going to impact everybody in in the industry is what we open the show with, which is the way Asmodee North America is uh, now handling their products and their business, and how that affects distributors, retailers, and consumers. And it's not just that, right? It's now we're starting to see a ripple effect from that. We're seeing other publishers get wise to this and start to kind of copy that approach, saying, you know, hey, now we can do this too. We can protect our product. We can protect retailers' investment of our product. Yep. So that ripple effect begins to go out, and I think more and more of the publishing side is going to start to copy that approach, which is going to uh, give the industry a lot more stability. Um, you know, they're... It says, but it's, it's a reality, right? When... Asmodee basically declared we're going with these five distributors. You had other publishers start to do the same thing. So you've got some, I guess I'll say smaller distributors that didn't make the cut. They're going to have less and less product to sell, right? And uh, the whole online uh, landscape is going to change. So if you're somebody like Cool Stuff or Miniature Market, again, your biggest competition was all the third-party guys on Amazon, which... Happen to be a lot of brick and mortar guys, actually. Ironically enough, uh, so that gets cleared up. So at the end of the day, the value of the product again is preserved. Everybody can be more profitable, but somebody out there, some some player out there, is going to point out, well, that means when I buy a board game, I can't get it for forty percent off like I'm used to now. I'm paying more. I'm going to have to pay MSRP. I'm going to have to pay the sticker on the box. Yeah, yeah. right. That's just, what's going to happen. That's just, gonna make, that's just going to make purchasing at, at the cons more easy to swallow because you're paying the same price anyways. Correct. It's a tough pill for everybody in the, in the industry to swallow it at first, but I think as everybody gets used to it, 
the industry is going to get a lot more stable. I mean, everybody in this industry, we're passionate. We love our jobs. We want to be around for a long time, and and that's what this does. So uh, that big change from asthma day is going to be the catalyst for a lot of that moving forward this year. Yeah, you heard it here first. Building a better tomorrow today. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, Mike, last question for you. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. What, what a lot of what we talk about on this show is designer centric, and so I wanted to ask you, from a designer's point of view, what would your advice be to that new designer or that designer who has kickstarted something in order to get into distribution? What do they need to do? What dots do they need to put over I's? What crosses do they need to put on T's in order to even get somebody like you to look at their stuff? So uh, at Gamma, we have uh, this 15-minute uh, presentation all distributors do to all the brand new manufacturers and you know I'm pretty good about myself being very proactive in going out and finding the information on games as long as it's out there however I gotta be triggered to do that in the first place and uh, so I spent that 15 minutes at Gamma I made up this uh, mock Celsius I made up like uh, I made up a fake game called Awesome Goat 9000 and I just had all the different kinds of details you're gonna ever want to have on a sell sheet so you got the picture of the box brief description the content list when the order due date is, when the release date is, all the pertinent information that I find valuable. So I did this this, this cell sheet. It's just a one 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 uh, one page um, cell sheet. It's what it's designed to do. And uh, I presented that to them, and I gave them a copy of it. And I went over that. That is for me the single most valuable thing that a designer can do. Is you give me a clean, bite-sized, digestible cell sheet. From there, I'm going to go do my own research on it as long as I get the information that I need from it. I need to know price, what type of game it is, uh, mechanics involved, when it's coming out, and other little, little things in there. So that's the number one thing I think that any publishers can do, uh, or designers and or publishers, whatever they are starting out, um, can do. Give me the information uh, that, that I need to start the path and I don't need my hand held. I'll go find the information myself. Uh, I, there's this one saying I always use. You know, I'm I'm a salesman from from back from from long time. You you can't salesman a salesman. So if you call me up and you try to sell me your game, that's gonna backfire on you. Just give me the information. I know what I need to support my customer base. So you you can't sell me because you're not selling it to me. It's impossible. I know what I need to bring on. So just give me the information in a bite-sized, digestible format, a sell sheet. That's and that's really that's good advice just for anything. Like that sell sheet will have multiple purposes and multiple uses. It so lives on. You, sh you should have that. You should have that anyway. You know, you, like you'd, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Be surprised. Oh no, I know. I'm, I'm no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying yeah. like. I'm just saying, for the a benefit of those investment. designers and publishers, yeah, a sell sheet is super important. You need to yeah. have that at conventions. You need to have that for distributors. You need to have that for other publishers. You need to have yeah. that for other designers. Yeah. You need to have that for consumers. Just it's yeah. super important. And that's the best thing is when you design it at that at the design it for the beginning of the process with the intent to go all the way to the end consumer. Mm -hmm. So have the MSRP on it. Have it be simple and digestible for the end consumer so it can advertise to us. Mm -hmm. And then as important as it is, I think a lot of people don't realize, we also, and we don't have to advertise to our retailers as well, we also have to do a lot of advertising internally. I'm rip my microphone off. Does advertise internally Passion. to our sales staff. Yeah, ready to go, man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because we got locations, you know, at Lake Creations all across the country. So we got to be able to remotely educate our sales staff on what the product is. So the sell sheet's got to be digestible for the distributor, internal for the distributor, to the retailer, to the end consumer, and let's say, let's, let's dream big to the big box stores as well, right? Right. So got, if you do it right from the beginning where it's digestible through all, through all, all of those, those formats, which it's very simple, um, you do it right from the get-go, and that, that one tool will live on for the, for the longevity of that product. Great advice. And now I want to play Awesome Goat 9000. 
Austin Code Eight Thousand was pretty cool, actually. I was I mocked it up, and I was like, I was it was like my my office at like nine thirty the Friday before we had to leave for Gamma. I'm like, I got one final thing to do: bug eyed, red eyed, and I made up a fake little brief description. Like, I need to play this game now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you heard of their designers? Make that game. All right, yeah. I just want to I, I want to say thanks uh, both to Mike and Bobby for taking the time, chatting with us, uh, sharing your wisdom and experience. Invaluable. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, answered a lot of questions I have, I'm sure. Uh, many. Thanks for f- fielding questions from our audience. I want to give a couple plugs. Uh, one, I want to mention, um, if you check out iTunes, you will see now we have all 77 past episodes up there. Thanks for David uh, So if you want to binge listen to past episodes, listen to this. Hopefully you're listening to this right now. Um, and then you can go listen to other episodes. Uh, the other thing I want to give a shout-out is we're doing our last episode before taking a break over the summer and kind of being more uh, sporadic. But next week, uh, with Gord Hamilton, uh, the doctor, doctor Gord Hamilton, uh, who has his uh, Santorini on Kickstarter right now, and it's going gangbusters, my personal favorite two-player game. And that, we that also looks have... really sweet. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. It's elegant and it's beautiful. And then talking about beautiful, Rob Lundy, uh, one of my favorite artists and happens to be the artist for Fantasy Fantasy Baseball, so I'm biased. But he'll be on the show next week as well, so we'll be chatting to them about elegance and beauty and making great games. Uh, till then, uh, I just want to encourage you, keep making great games out there. We look forward to playing your games soon. Have a great night. Bye, guys. <laughs>